million dollar jets to go here and there on the pretext that they're serving God. And they'll get on TV stations and tell everybody, we're little gods. Yes, we're little gods. We're children of the Most High. You want to be that? Okay, read on. But you shall die like men. I wonder why they don't ever read verse 7. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes, like Pelatea. He was a prince. And then he says, Arise, O God. This is the psalmist. Arise, O God. Judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. When it comes right down to it, God, you're the only one. You're the only God. You're the one who's going to judge righteously. You're the one who's going to judge justly. Because these meatheads around here just don't do it. These idiots are leading us astray. And there's plenty of them. And they do wicked things, even on TV. Even on TV. If I'm not mistaken, and I'm, and I'm not afraid of naming names, but if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Kenneth Copeland and Rodney Howard Brown who had a conversation in front of all these people in tongues, like if they knew what they were saying to each other. And they started laughing like they were telling jokes in tongues. Is that what the gift of tongues was all about? Not at all. The gift of tongues when it came upon the church was for them in that tongue to glorify God and that alone was the reason. How were they glorifying God acting like stupid idiots? False prophets. Let me calm down. Give me a second. It just burns my heart. I weep because people have been taken by this lie. So as I said, the use of the word God's Elohim is simply to point out that these judges were supposed to be God's representatives who are in authority on earth. They're not little gods. They're not. Remember what it says in Isaiah, there's only one God, and God says, and I'm him, and you're not. That's why we need to know the context of everything in Scripture. So that's what happened to Pelatea in, in our text. It, they abused God's word. There are a few warnings given as well to the leadership in the, in the, in the New Testament. James chapter 3 verse 1 says, My brethren, be not many masters. In other words, be not many teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. I, I had some good wise men do their best to discourage me before they would encourage me to be a pastor. I appreciated that down the, down the road. I appreciated that more now than ever before. Because if you can be discouraged from, a, from what you think might be a calling, 
then praise the Lord. Maybe God has something better for you. But the fact is, some people try to be, because they see somebody and say, I can do that, I can do that. I, I, I never wanted to do this. I was, I was really happy being behind the piano all the time, just leading worship. As a matter of fact, I could do that all day long. I never stop until my voice gives out, until my fingers fall off. But that's not what God called me to do. Well, that's not the only thing he called me to do. He called me to do what I'm doing now, but, but that's, the, that, that's the thing we have to understand. We ought, we ought not to just jump at something because we think we can do it. I, I get really burdened when I have somebody say, you know, I, I want to go to some, some kind of school, man. I want to go to school. I want to learn how to be a pastor. No, you, know, you don't learn how to, how to be a pastor at school. You get on your knees and you ask God, what do you want me to do? What, what do you want me to do? Here I am. Be Isaiah. Be, you know, what did Isaiah say? Yeah. Well, the first thing he said was, woe is me. <laughs> woe is me. For I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. I stand before the Lord, the Lord God. So when God says, Who, Who's going to go for me? He says, Well, here am I. After what? After his mouth was cauterized by the coal of the fire of God's altar, then he was sure. When God said, who, who will go for me? He said, here am I, send me. <sighs> Peter, in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4, says, The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Listen, I've been with Jesus. I've seen his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. I've touched him. I worked with him. But this is what I'm called to do. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, in other words, not for money, but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, like we look down upon people today. And lord over them, beating the sheep instead of feeding the sheep. And mind you, I'm not beating you all tonight, okay? I've just, I've just got my, my blood pressure going a little bit here. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Folks, the onus is on us to be examples. And when the chief, chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive, receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Peter is saying, he says, look, even I, am I to eye with you in these things? Not to mention there's a lot of stuff that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 2 and Acts chapter 20 about uh, the care of the flock because of the dangers that would come and how the leadership has to be examples. Perfect, 
and without reproach? Perfect only in the sense of being complete, not perfect as if to be perfect, because we're human. Getting back to our text with Pelatea dropping dead, this is a reminder that God is not to be mocked. And what these leaders of the people did was mock God's word and his prophets. Ezekiel's concern for the remnant was a valid one, but the Lord would say more momentarily. We'll get to that in a moment. So his was a difficult ministry, Ezekiel. His was a difficult ministry, and he needed to refocus and get the proper perspective of things before he lost sight of the grace and mercy of God, which is what I got to do. I got to to refocus here, okay? Never to forget who's in control. Never to forget the promises of God. Sometimes people do that now. Even in the last days, they forget that God's in control. They forget the wonderful promises that God has made. The wonderful promises that Jesus made. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And the promises that Jesus made, the promises that the apostles made, the great promises that we're going to read here in just a moment that the prophets made, we ought not to forget them. But we ought to be concerned about what's happening. So we get back to Ezekiel 11, verses 14 and 15, and it says again, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, thy brethren, even thy brethren, the men of thy kindred, and all the house of Israel holy, in other words, completely, are they unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem has said, Get you far from the Lord, unto us is this land given in possession. So this is what the prophets were saying to the people. Get, get you far from the Lord, unto us is this land given in possession. Now that's, that's kind of a bold statement, isn't it? Because there's some boldness and arrogance in that. Uh, in effect, what they're saying is to the people, they're saying, this is our land. We don't need God. We've obtained it on our own and we can sustain it on our own. Really? The Israelites and the Judites, they they got the land themselves? They conquered it themselves? They developed it themselves? I hate to say it, but... (laughs) We've said the very same thing in our own country. We've been saying exactly the same thing. We've built all of this ourselves. God has given us this land that we may freely worship him, but instead of praising him and thanking him, we seem to take credit for everything that we have. We need to be extremely careful And I say that because judgment was at the door for the southern kingdom of Judah. Judgment was knocking at the door of Judah. How far away is it for the USA? How far away? Think for just a moment. Prayer. Removed from schools and public places in our land. The removal of the Ten Commandments from courtrooms and courthouses. 
the threats to Christian military chaplains who dare mention the name of Jesus Christ either in prayer or in speaking. They're chaplains, and they represent Jesus Christ. They can't even mention his name. Because of people who have been planted in, in, over the military by our administration, our president, or the president of this land anyway. It's more of a dictatorship than it is a democratic republic. The Supreme Court legislating same-sex marriages is the law of the land, an abomination according to the word of God. The threat to label anyone speaking out against homosexuality as committing a hate crime. And last but certainly not least, pronouncing an unconstitutional dictatorial edict for transgender bathrooms to be enforced throughout the land. May I ask you, insanity? Whose land has this become? And who's knocking on the door? Judgment. May I remind you what it says in Proverbs 14, verse 34? Righteousness exalts a nation. We at one time were the most blessed nation in the whole world because we exalted God. We exalted the God who, whose righteousness, upon whose righteousness we stood as a people. Not everyone, but many. But sin is a reproach to any people. So now sin is reclassified as not sin. That's what's happened in our country. Sin is reclassified. It's no longer sin. It's whatever you do, you want to be, you want to, whatever you want to do. But the only ones who really sin are the Christians. We sin against tolerance. We sin against political correctness. Proverbs 39, 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. The vision we had when this country was founded has all but perished. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. He that keepeth the word of God, happy is he. Blessed is he, no matter what you face in this life. Blessed are you when you stand on on the principles of the word of God. Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That was intended for Israel. But for any nation whose leadership would say, we need to get back on our knees because our country is perishing. Do we hear that from the top today? No, not at all. We're doing great. We're doing great. Keep building. Keep doing what you want to do. Keep redistributing the wealth. Keep doing all this other stuff. So where are we today? Look at the presidential race. It's even getting worse, isn't it? It's getting worse every week. 
Are we praying for our country? Psalm, Psalm 11, verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, the good thing is that after verse 3, it tells us what the righteous can do and what we should do. I'd read Psalm 11 tonight. Because when it comes right down to it, God is still God. He's still in control. He's still is coming. And God and Christ is coming. I mean, these, these things are inevitable. But God has called us. Look. We have to say what the word of God says. We can't water it down like some people do. Or, you know, kind of give in to the pressure to be all-inclusive. You know, this is not a matter of all-inclusive. You know, you know what's, what's great about the doors here? Anybody can come in that's a sinner. As a matter of fact, look at all of us here. We all came in. We're sinners. Nobody's reclassified us as this or that. We're men and women. That's because that's what God made us. And we're sinners. Thank goodness that many of us here are sinners saved by the grace of God. And we are now not just sinners, but we're saints. Not because of anything we did, but because of everything Christ did. And we just believed in it. We just said, hey, I believe that he did this for me. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's called grace and mercy. The foundations are being destroyed, folks. Let's get back to Ezekiel because we're... We could be here all night if I don't start focusing. The Lord instructed Ezekiel to set one matter straight. Inform the Jews in exile that he had in fact chosen them to be his special people. Look at verse 16. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the brethren and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. That's a, that's a blessed little statement that God says, I'm going to be to them a little sanctuary. I'm going to be to them a chapel, wherever they are. And here again, we see the grace of God in the midst of this judgment. The prophet was to tell the people that no matter where they were, no matter what nation they found themselves in, if they would only cry out to him, he would be a sanctuary to them, a holy place to them. He would be the sanctuary. Not a tabernacle made by hands, not a temple made by hands. He, God, is our sanctuary. Have you ever noticed that wherever you go, even if you're by yourself and nobody's around for 20 miles, God is still with you? <laughs> by the way, that's... If you haven't tried that, go out and try it one of these days. You know, try to find a place where you're 20 miles away from anybody. And God's going to be with you. You see, worship is not a matter of location. It is a matter of the heart. And even in the darkest times, the Lord will be there with us if we would just call out to him. There, there are some times when you are in a crowded place. I mean, people are all around you. And you might even think that you are by yourself. No matter how many people are around you, you're by yourself. And you are burdened by something. You are 
weighed down by the heaviness of sin or the heaviness of something in your life and you cry out to God and God comes. My life was changed in the middle of a student union building at UTEP 40 years ago. In the middle of a crowded room where people were walking back and forth and there was noise all over the place and there was smoke all over the place and everybody's talking and laughing and screaming and, and I just sat down with somebody who shared the gospel with me and all of a sudden my eyes were open to the, to the emptiness of my heart without Jesus Christ. And I cried out to God that day and I cried out to Jesus to come into my life. And he changed me then and I thank God for it. But at that moment I was all alone. The only one else that was there was a person telling me about Jesus. It's not a matter of location. It's a matter of your heart. And the Lord will be there with us if we would just call out to him. He, he would be not only our comfort in the midst of chaos, he would be a sanctuary to us as well. A little sanctuary we could call a small chapel in contrast to the temple and the Holy of Holies. But the important thing is, the important thing is, the people would not be forsaken. The people would not be forsaken. Look at verses 17 through 21. Therefore say thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And they shall come thither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof and all the abominations thereof from thence. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of, the, of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Why? Because a stony heart doesn't beat, but a heart of flesh beats with life that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for them whose heart walketh after the heart of the detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their own heads, saith the Lord God. There was, a, there was a partial fulfillment of this when they returned home from their Babylonian captivity. Partial fulfillment, not all, not a complete fulfillment, a partial completion. And in 1948... When the Jews entered the land once again after they had been driven out by the Romans in 70 AD, becoming a nation once again, that would only be classified as a partial fulfillment as well. It wasn't a full fulfillment, complete fulfillment. But one thing to remember, because of the Holocaust, many of the nation of Israel today, and it has been since 48, much of the nation is, is either agnostic or atheistic. Not all the nation there's been a growing number of people, of course, you know, not, not discounting, of course, the, the Hasidic Jews, the Jews that have moved there, the ones that are completely religious and continue to pray and wait upon the Messiah to come the first time. We know he's already come the, second, uh, he come the first time, he's going to come the second time. But there's, there's been a growing number of people coming to Christ even. Many Jews coming to the Lord, called Messianic Jews. And uh, they're Messianic uh, congregations popping up throughout all of Israel. They're small, but nonetheless. And others are coming back to their faith in, 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 in Judaism, but again, this, this is what's happening now, but over the, the last few years, it's, 
It's just increasing slowly but surely. But we have to understand this, this issue about how the nation is today because that lets us know, of course, that the final fulfillment or the complete fulfillment is yet to come. And it is coming. It is going to happen. But they become agnostic or atheistic simply because many couldn't believe that God would allow six million of their own brethren to be slaughtered by Hitler. And so full completion is yet to come. But there is coming a day when their eyes will be opened and they will turn to their God. But that will not take place on a national level until the time of the tribulation period. This is why it is so important for us to understand the way that God works with the rapture of the church before the time of the tribulation period. Because without the church here and the, and, 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 and the, you know, the restrainer, as it were, has to be lifted so that the enemy is, is given more reign to do what he's going to do as the Antichrist and all of that. But, but I say this to say that it, it, this, this is the reason why we have to understand how God works in that he takes the church out so that all of his attention will now be upon Israel for seven years. Because those seven years, as it tells us in Daniel chapter 9, are the last seven years of God dealing with them over the many years, the 490 years, minus the seven, that uh, they were already in judgment. And so as Paul says in Romans 11, verses 25 through 27, he says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. The fullness of the Gentiles is now. Or we're, you know, we're in that time where it's going to be complete. And when the time of the Gentiles is complete, then comes the day of the Lord. And so all Israel shall be saved. Notice what he says. All Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. We're dealing with Jacob here. Which is all of Israel. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. There was also a strong warning issued in verse 21. All who were devoted to anything other than the Lord would face judgment and condemnation. Go back, if you will, to I'm sorry, Ezekiel 9, verse 10. Because there in Ezekiel 9, 10, it says, And as for me also, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. And of course, this is what he says in verse 21 as well. I'm sorry, verse, uh, yeah, 21. But as for them whose heart walketh after the heart of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their own heads, saith the Lord God. If you worshiped idols, you became like your idols. If they were made out of stone, you became like stone. And God would smash the stone. If you made them out of wood, you would become like wood. Eyes you would have, but you wouldn't see. Ears you would have, but you wouldn't hear. 
You could carve a pretty heart into that wood, but that heart would be dead. No life. And now the glory of God leaves the city, verse 22. Then did cherubim lift up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain which is on the east side of the city. What a sad picture this is. The Lord was hovering by the east door of the temple and slowly now made his way to the only mountain there is, right, to the east, which is the Mount of Olives, leaving the city, the wall city. You could place a sign over the city of Jerusalem at that point, and the sign would say, Ichavod, Ichavod, Ichabod, the glory has departed. When Samuel, the prophet priest, was a young man, the Israelites fought, a lo- fought and lost a key battle with the Philistines. During the battle, the son of the high priest, the sons of the high priest were slain. The Ark of the Covenant was captured. And then the high priest died as he fell down out of grief. At that time, one of the daughters-in-laws of, or daughters-in-law of the high priest was giving birth to a boy, and she died during childbirth. The nurse named the boy Ichavod, which meant the glory has departed. You can read that in 1 Samuel 4. How significant is it that we see Jesus being taken up into heaven on the Mount of Olives. And the angel said to the disciples of Jesus that as he went up, he would return. Where? The Mount of Olives. And when he does return, he will place his feet on the Mount of Olives. And it will cleave in two When he places his feet, and you can read this in the book of Zechariah, places his feet on the Mount of Olives and the the land just opens up to the south and to the north. That whole valley, the Kidron Valley, will just open up. Where living waters will then flow from there into the Dead Sea and shall bring the Dead Sea forth into life. Those of you that have been to the Dead Sea realize it, you, you realize that it. it's, it's just dead. I mean, that, there are no fish in the dead. You don't go fishing on the Dead Sea. There are no fish in there. It's, it's 30% salt. Nothing lives in there until Jesus comes. Why? Because Jesus is about life. And he brings life. Although he has to bring judgment as well. For those who have forsaken the life that he has given. For those who have cheapened life today. 
Why do you think that years ago, God said to the children of Israel, choose life? What are people choosing today? Anything but. Let's finish, 24, verse 24. Afterwards, the Spirit took me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea, which is, of course, Babylon, to them of the captivity. In other words, Ezekiel was brought back from the vision to Chaldea. So the vision that I had seen went up from me. Then I spake unto them of the captivity, all the things that the Lord had showed me. In other words, he went forth in obedience to do what God called him to do, which was to be a prophet to his people. So Ezekiel has returned from this vision, and he's going to speak to the captives in Babylon the things that God has shown him. He will not only share the judgments of God because of their disobedience, but also the blessings that God has, has given them when they return to him. I want to leave you with this encouragement. If you will, turn to Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. And this is where we will close today. Because I like to leave you with encouragement. Though we see everything in its darkness around, God has promised light and life because of the love of Christ. So in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, it says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. Have we heard that somewhere? We just kind of heard it where? In Ezekiel. Write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the Lord and notice how and why for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. There's only one way that that can happen, folks. That's through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is why when the children of Israel will see their Messiah coming, they will weep, for they shall see the, the nail prints in his hands. They will see that they missed the boat, but God has been merciful to give them the opportunity to come back to him. Folks, I can tell you this right now. God knows every person who's coming to Jesus Christ before the rapture of the church. God knows everyone. And there's no reason why any of us here should miss that because we've seen it very clearly in his word. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, we have no life. Without the death of Jesus Christ, we have no life. Without the blood of Christ spilled for the remission of our sins, we have no salvation. It's time to take Jesus seriously. It's time to take Jesus to heart. 
It's time to take his word to heart. It's time to love him. It's time to serve him. It's time to grow in him. It's time to quit playing games with God. It's time now to stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Time to stand on the word of God. It's time to stand on Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved. My prayer is that you know that. My prayer is that you know him. Not just know about it, know him. Amen? All right, let's pray. Thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity this evening to gather once again to worship you, to praise you, to sing songs to you of of thanksgiving and praise. And then, Lord, to open your word, to be encouraged, but also, Lord God, to be challenged. Challenged by the things, Lord God, that we've seen and heard. Challenged by every word of of yours that, Lord, pierce our hearts, stir us, Lord God, to examine ourselves, to see that we're in the faith and that we are where you want us to be. But then, Lord God, to entrust our lives and our hearts completely and totally upon you and entrust them to you, Lord. And Father, as we continue to see the day of Jesus Christ approaching, Lord, we we can only pray that you will continue to help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. And we do ask this, Lord God, with humility and sincerity of heart and mind. Lord Jesus, come and fill us. Come and fill those who need you right now. Come and change us, Lord. Continue, Lord God, to do the work and complete your work in us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand?